God we did. And, um, and it's time for class to start. Praise God. Amen. Welcome, those of you who are uh, with us online. We've been chatting about some things here uh, in class before uh, we went live. And um, we are uh, excited to be with you once again tonight and excited about the things we're going to be discussing. Praise God. Uh, Kingdom Overview Part 2. So there's a little bit that we didn't get to uh, last week on our Kingdom Overview. And then uh, we should have time to, to at least begin the section that I simply call three questions. And some of you have heard me talk about those questions off and on over the last uh, month or so. And so we'll dig in uh, to that part of our time together as well. So a uh, happy new year uh, to all of you. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Um, you know, some people are more challenging to love than others. Um, but you folks are easy to love. And you're easy to teach, and, and that's, that's really important. Um, for those of you who were in class uh, yesterday morning, after everybody filed out, uh, Connor was in the balcony, and he looked down at me. He said, love you, Pastor Mark. He said, we were plowing today. And so if you've never heard me say that, there are times when you teach and, and, and teach other people, and you're flowing, okay? And then there are times when you're plowing, amen? <laughs> and, uh, and I love to flow, Amen. Plowing's not my favorite thing to do, but how many of you know plowing is necessary? We've got to break up, got to break up some, some, some dirt and some ground so we can get the seed of God's Word in it. Amen. And uh, so I'm believing, and you believe with me, uh, that we're going to flow. That's one of the things that I enjoy the most about discipleship class is everybody who's here at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday wants to be here. Anybody that sits down and watches this later, uh, you know, almost a two-hour class uh, online or listens to it, whatever, that's somebody who wants uh, to hear it. Amen. And believe it or not, that makes a big difference um, when, when you're with people who want the same thing that, that you want and are looking for the same thing that you're looking for. It, it creates uh, uh, an atmosphere of faith. It creates an atmosphere of expectation. It creates an, an atmosphere that is, that is very uh, attractive uh, to uh, the things of God and the things of the Spirit. And so uh, you're easy to love and you're easy to teach, and I'm excited tonight about breaking the Word of God uh, with you. So uh, without any further ado, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your love. Thank you for uh, the year that was 2023. Father, a pivotal year for, for so many of us. And um, Father, <clears throat> I'm talking to a lot of people right now who started some things in 23 that they're going to finish in 24. And I thank you, Father, uh, for the level of faithfulness and commitment, Father, that you are, are birthing and developing within us. Um, Father, we know that, that these different virtues like perseverance, uh, we can't go to a convenience store and purchase those things, Father. They're things that are, that are built into us, uh, fruit that is, that is produced. And, and, and that is, that is uh, born upon uh, our lives. And, and I thank you, Father, uh, for helping us uh, continue to bear uh, fruit uh, that is not just a blessing to us and others, but is glorifying to yourself. Thank you for your holy word tonight. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We open our hearts and, and we welcome uh, them both uh, living and powerful uh, into this encounter, Father. Lord, that we would hear and receive things tonight that would become a part of us, that would alter our personality, that would transform the way we we think and ultimately transform our lives. Again, Father, you're bringing your goodness and your glory out from us and uh, all the inward realities of the new birth becoming outward expressions of our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Before we uh, started, for those of you online, we were talking about a, a new book that um, I'm almost finished with called Imagine the God of Heaven, which is by the same author who wrote Imagine Heaven. And <clears throat> one gentleman during his near-death experience, he had this profound sense of, um, you know, destiny and purpose. And, and God is, you know, clearly saying, I'm sending you back because uh, your assignment on earth is not finished. And I thought it was very interesting, and, and it really helped me uh, kind of understand some things about my own purpose and assignment. So he said, well, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. He's like, well, before you send me back, tell me what that assignment is, you know, to, to, to spell it out for me so I can go do it and, and, and get with it and get on it, you know. And, um, and he said, I, I, it doesn't work that way. And he said, this doesn't make, he's almost getting like irritated with Jesus. He's like, this, this doesn't make any sense. Why won't you just tell me? He said, if I just told you, then you would try to do it without me. He said, it has to be a process of discovery. It has to be something that you learn from me uh, through your life's journey. And, um, and so it's not that God is withholding something from us. Um, I've often said that if God had told me at 15 that uh, my destiny involved uh, a church that would start in the showroom on a cabinet shop, <laughs> I, you got to keep in mind at 15 I never thought I'd build a cabinet much less own a cabinet business you know, that, was, that wasn't even where on my radar um, matter of fact I could have had a Chick-fil-A but I didn't own my own Chick-fil-A but I didn't want to do that because I'm called to preach I can't be a businessman you know that was my attitude so if the Lord had told me you should follow him saying if he'd reveal that to me at 15 I'd have tried, not that my parents would have let me but I'd have tried to drop out of school and go you know be a uh, an apprentice at a cabinet shop somewhere. Oh, bless God, that's my destiny. I got to be about it, right? And but see, there's all kinds of things between 15 and 30, right, <laughs> that I needed to learn and experience and, and grow in, all preparing me. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've learned about the will of God is that if you will focus on doing from your heart the part of God's will for your life that you know, He'll make sure that you never miss the part that you don't know. And even if you take a wrong turn, he, he's big God. He can get you back uh, to where you're supposed to be from where you are right now. Um, was, but again, we've got to trust him. Um, he can only take you as far as your trust in him will allow. And he's leading us, right? But when he brings us to these crossroads in our lives, and, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, overemphasize uh, the importance of these classes, but I'm not sure that I can, to be honest with you. And it's not... I hope you don't ever think that it's self-serving on my part, okay? Because what happens in our time together in here is otherworldly. It's, it's, the, it's the Spirit of God and the Word of God coming together uh, with a group of, of men and women who want to learn and grow, right? But, you know, as we said on Sunday, and I've said it many times throughout the, the years, life is choice-driven, therefore it must be Spirit-led. Life is choice-driven, it must be Spirit-led. Um, even, and I know some of you are excited about it, asking me, having class, you know, that sort of thing. Looking forward to seeing you tomorrow night, Pastor Mark, whatever. Um, but even then, it, it was a choice, right, to be here tonight. Do you, you follow what I'm saying? It was, it was a choice uh, where, you know, Holy Spirit is leading you. He's, 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 he's you know, uh, attracting you to uh, a certain event, a certain place. For some of you, that was the foundry. Um, you know, or, or a certain person or church or pastor or book. Amen. You know, and so we have to trust him, though, right? And a lot of times our own understanding or our own desires or just being tired or whatever, you know, if we're not careful, those things override, uh, you know, spirit's willing but flesh is weak. Um, and, and, but yet it's those steps. It's, it's those kinds of um, 
to be honest with you, when I started this book that's just been, you know, amazing for me, I was like, man, you know, I'll start, I'll get on that sometime in January. You know, it's the holidays, and I got so many things going. But I just, again, I felt that prompting of the Holy Spirit um, that, I, that I needed to get that book. Um, because, again, Imagine Heaven was so impactful for me. And, um, and if anything, this one even more so. Um, and I know, you know, we hear these stories, and you're like, well, come on, Pastor Mark. How can we know these people aren't just making this stuff up? Well, we have an inward witness of the Holy Spirit, right, that, that it'll bear witness with, with your spirit. Um, but then also it'll bear witness with the Word of God. Um, and so even people who, who don't necessarily know God uh, or know anything about the Bible, to me that is one of the most um, validating uh, things about it. You know, somebody that sees Jesus and comes back and is talking about these things that Jesus told them, right? And they don't, they don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. But they're saying things that are in the Bible. Um, that, to me, validates their experience, but it also validates what we believe and what we practice and how we live. Amen? So exciting stuff, exciting things. Um, our, our best days are ahead of us. I'm going to say that again. Our best days, your best days are ahead of you. No matter how good things may have been in the past, I'm telling you. And I'm not just talking about heaven. Heaven's obviously going to be better than anything we've had down here. But even in Christ Jesus, in the kingdom of our Heavenly Father, um, our best days um, are not behind us. They're ahead of us. Jesus always, please hear me now, He always saves the best for last. But see, Satan has tried our whole life to get us in this mindset that um, you know we've wasted this and we should have done this and we, we, we should have went to college when we were younger and this and that and now we've reached this point in our lives and our lives are more than half over now but it's too late for you. And I, Again, the devil's lying, man. God can make up for time that we've lost and wasted. He can accelerate things. Again, we're talking about God now, amen, and nothing's impossible uh, for him. But then when it comes to you and me, nothing's impossible to him or her who believes. And so we got to believe that God is able, amen, and that he's willing and that he has good things uh, in store for us. Praise God. All right, let's do um, a little bit of review. Last week we began by talking about the difference between the gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom. And remember, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of God's kingdom here on the earth, was the message that Jesus preached. Not that he didn't teach us about salvation, but salvation was taught in its proper perspective as a means for you and me to enter into the kingdom. Okay, um, We then uh, said that the gospel of salvation focuses more on getting you into heaven, but the gospel of the kingdom focuses more on getting heaven into you and then into the earth around you and through you. And so some of the brief points that we covered, we said we need a better understanding of God's kingdom. Most people hear the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and they automatically think of going to heaven one day uh, by way of death or the rapture. Um, Jesus did not come to create a new religion or a new branch of an existing religion, but he came to bring God's kingdom to the earth and provide a way for you and me to enter into it. Um, number three, we said Jesus taught about the kingdom more than any other subject. It was his first, most consistent, and his final message. Well, here on the earth, and I'll get to that final message part uh, here in just a few minutes where we see even after. Um, I'll get ahead of myself now, but if you remember when Jesus was crucified, he was in the belly of the earth for three days, three nights. He was raised from the dead, but he didn't immediately go back to heaven. Um, he was here for 40 days. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So, uh, and was seen by many people at one point. Uh, history tells us that, that he was seen by a crowd of more than 500 people. 
Amen. Uh, and then, of course, he did some teaching. <laughs> and guess what he taught about? In between his resurrection and the return back to the right hand of the Father, he taught about the kingdom. I'll show you that to you today in the scriptures in just a minute. Uh, the number four, we said the kingdom is, our, is the source for our authority and ministry. Um, we are citizens of and ambassadors for our Father's kingdom. We then went through, and I'm not going to go back through all those verses, but we saw where John the Baptist preached the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. The 12 holy apostles preached the gospel of the kingdom. And the first 70 missionaries, um, they, were, they went and they preached, repent, uh, change the way you think and the way you look at things because the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, their understanding was, like we use Daniel as an example, that God's kingdom was three heavens away, hard to access, hard to receive anything from, hard to receive answers from. That's not the case anymore. Jesus has come to the earth and He has brought Father's kingdom with Him. So we said with that in mind that we must be kingdom-minded. We, we, we have to incorporate into our lives the understanding of Father's kingdom. I've uh, often said it this way, Jesus was in this world just like you and I are in this world. But He was not of this world. Just like you and I, as born-again men and women of God, are not of this world. We are citizens. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But now watch this. Here's a fundamental difference. Jesus was in this world, but He was more aware of the world He came from than the world He found Himself in. Are you following me? That's really important. Okay? Jesus was aware of His Father's kingdom. That's why you know, he looked at everything and every situation through the lens of that kingdom. And, and so that's where we get things like with men, this is impossible. With, with this world's resources and with this world's abilities, this world's technology, uh, this world's medicine. They had medicine in their days. Thank God we've got better medicine today than they had then. But even, even today, there, there are certain things that the world's medicine can't fix. So Jesus said it this way, with men, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible with Father's kingdom. So we said it's important when we become kingdom-minded to think of God's kingdom as being the government of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, the resources of God. And maybe we'll probably get into this in, in a future section, but let me, let me go ahead and make something very clear, okay? And I know we've said this a few times already in different ways, but... We know that Jesus became a curse for us, according to the book of Galatians. We know that when Adam sinned, the Bible says the earth became cursed for his sake, uh, cursed because of what he did. Um, he, in essence, took what God had made good and very good, and then he introduced sin. I say it this way, he threw a wrench into the works, right? And it, and it, and it affected the foundations, or we can say it this way, it affected the fundamental way things work here on the earth. God did not create an earth uh, to, to break open with earthquakes. He did not create an earth uh, to spawn tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and, and all these other things. There's none of that in heaven. And when God created the earth, He intended for none of it to be here. Those things come as a result of mankind's sin. Right, So that's the curse. The curse involves poverty. The curse involves death. The curse involves sickness. Um, and again, the Bible spells out all the different things that are under this umbrella called the curse. Jesus, the Bible says, became a curse for you and me. He lifted that curse off of us and carried it away so that the blessing that was upon Abraham can now be upon you and me even though we are not biological descendants of Abraham. 
right? So Jesus dealt with the curse, and Jesus dealt with sin, and Jesus dealt with the devil. We looked at that last week where he thoroughly and soundly defeated the devil and took from the devil the keys to death, hell, and the grave. But when you look at what's going on, and I had a cousin that uh, was not raised in church. He got born again, and, and, and he was asking me some questions, very sincere questions. But, but, you know, he's just looking at what's going on on the earth, and he's like, well, who's stronger, God or the devil? Because, you know, from his perspective, what you see happening on the earth, you know, uh, it would appear to the uh, unknowing eye uh, that, that Satan really packs a punch. You know, he's, he's a big dog or whatever. Uh, well, he's been thoroughly defeated, uh, but the only reason he is able to get anything done is because people still listen to him. Amen. How many people would be murdered on planet Earth tomorrow if no one on planet Earth listened to the devil? Not see again. He, you know, what could the devil do on planet Earth tomorrow if everybody ignored him the way most people ignore God? He couldn't get anything done. Are you seeing this? Okay. But Jesus identified Satan as the ruler of this world, as the God, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, lowercase g-o-d, of this world. Um, remember, Adam was given authority here, and he bowed his knee to God's enemy, and in essence turned that authority over to the devil. Jesus came, and we looked at the verse last week, to take that authority back away from him and give it to you and me. Are you seeing this? To give it to you and me. And that's why Jesus announced, all authority in heaven and on earth is now belonging to me. So it's like, okay, well then why, why is Satan still doing what Satan is still doing, right? Uh, again, it's because people listen to him and follow him and give in to him. But when it comes to God's people, when it comes to you and me, right, we have to walk in the things that God has done for us. We, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? We can't live our lives based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. Are you following me? That's what it means to live by sight, Living your life based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. You can't walk in God's best for your life and all that Jesus has done for you, made you, and given to you if, if you don't walk in faith. What does it mean to walk by faith? To, to live your life based upon what God said, regardless of how it looks, seems, and feels. The Bible says it this way, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. Well, how did you receive him? You received him by faith. How do you walk in, walk out, if you will, all those inward realities of new birth becoming outward expressions of life? How do we walk those things out in our daily lives? Again, we walk them out by faith. We walk them out by faith. And so God's kingdom is here. Jesus brought it with him. And um, we, we looked at this parable. I'll put that screen back on the screen. Uh, I won't turn to Isaiah 9, but remember he said of the increase of his government and peace, there will be, come on now, no end, right? So, and then Jesus, he compared it, the kingdom of heaven coming to the earth like leaven. And, and of course, you take a, a big barrel of, of flour, dough, and you just put a little, sprinkle a little bit of yeast in it. And we know that just a little bit of yeast will, will affect and invade and ultimately take over the, the entire uh, lump of dough. And he said that his kingdom was like that. It's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. So he's talking about something that may have small and humble beginnings. Let's not forget Jesus was born in a, in a manger in Bethlehem, right? <laughs> but, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And eventually, listen to me now, eventually uh, every knee, not most, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God the Father. So God's kingdom is here and it's here to stay. 
And as a born-again man or woman, that means you're, you're a part of um, what's here to stay. Amen. Are you following what I mean by that? Uh, one of my favorite uh, evangelists, Jesse Duplantis, um, you know, he says, I can't believe people leave the church. He said, the church is the only thing on planet Earth that's going to make it, right? <laughs> church, is, church is the only thing that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Amen. Um, and, uh, and so uh, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, but we're also a part of something that is um, eternal. We then talked about Jesus casting out demons and why that was reserved for him and him alone because it was a sign, um, not just that he was greater than the, than the prophets of the Old Testament, but despite them having performed all the same or similar miracles as Jesus performed, the one thing they didn't do that Jesus did was he cast out demons uh, with the finger of God. And Jesus says, if you see me doing that, it can only mean one thing, that the kingdom of God, again, has what come upon you. Then Jesus taught us to pray that Father's kingdom would come, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we ended here last week, Matthew chapter 16 verses 18 and 19, and we have a section on authority and, and the authority that we have in Christ in, in some future classes. And so I won't go too deeply into this now, but I do want to make sure you understand a couple of things because I feel like we may have rushed this a little bit last week. And so Matthew 16, 18 through 19, and then we have the same thing repeated, the same truth repeated again in Matthew chapter 18 and, um, and verse 18. But he says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Let, let, me, let me make sure that you understand um, what he means when he says the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Um, the, the, the fundamental position of so many people in the church is one of defensive posture, okay? Is that we're holding on trying to keep the devil out. And because of that, we don't understand the gates of hell prevailing against it because, you know, we think of the gates of hell, how can gates attack, okay? But if you would flip that, it'll make perfect sense to you. The, the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is advancing. The kingdom is advancing. We are taking more and more territory all over the world, amen? Uh, there are those who talk about the underground church in China is perhaps the fastest growing portion of the kingdom of God and body of Christ anywhere on earth. And there are estimates of millions of, of born-again Chinese men and women. Again, they underground because of the government and all these other things. So when we you know, talk about the kingdom, you have to think in terms of it advancing, of it growing, of it, of it not being stopped by the gates of hell. So think of it as the gates of hell will not be able to keep the kingdom of God from advancing into even the darkest parts of this world. And I think maybe now it'll help you. Does that help anybody besides me? That, that's what it means. The gates of hell can't stop it. We're on the move. Amen. And the kingdom is advancing. It's growing. It's building. It's expanding. Um, and listen, I don't want to go through all the everybody's well, Pastor Mark, you know, you say that, but there's clearly the statistics in the United States say that church attendance is down and this and that. Again, we we got to realize the kingdom of God is bigger than the United States of America. Amen. And, uh, and we've seen it in this country, uh, a pattern in this country many, many times uh, where there is a, uh, a withdrawal and a retraction and then a, a surge and a revival. And I believe that there is an awakening coming. There are people who read the Bible and they see a great falling away before Jesus returns. 
And then there are people who read the Bible and they find in that same Bible a great revival before Jesus returns. And so people often say, well, which one is it? And we have this mistake of thinking that it's either or instead of both and. Amen. And what, what I believe is happening, and the Lord showed me this many, many years ago. I was still just a, 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 a I wasn't even driving a car yet, okay. But he showed me that there's a, there's a you know, you got the, the, the cold and the hot and the lukewarm. Or, or you, could, you could think, uh, you know, uh, the uh, gray zone kind of in the middle, you know. People kind of like to gravitate towards the middle. If you hadn't figured that out by now, uh, fast food restaurants have figured out that most people are going to order the medium, and so they they quantify and price the medium uh, for their best profit margin. Okay, and so it's just human nature, right, to take the middle road. Um, but what's what I think we're I believe it's already happening is um, that that gray zone is getting smaller and smaller, um, and you got people who are who are you know becoming white hot for Jesus, right? And then you got folks that, that are, um, you know, nominally whatever, uh, falling away, fading away, praise God. Um, so th- th- enough that we could talk about that uh, for a long time here. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I would encourage you to confess that um, uh, over yourself as a, as a part of the body of Christ, as a part of the church, and then also over uh, the, the, the church at large, but also the individual churches that you all may attend. And then he says, I'll give you the keys. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's talk for a minute about keys and then we'll come back. Okay, Keys, in, in my estimation, represent uh, three important things. First thing keys represent is they represent access. Uh, number two, they represent authority. And number three, they represent responsibility. Access, authority, and responsibility. When I was promoted to night manager uh, at Chick-fil-A, the owner of that restaurant gave me a set of keys. Keys to the front door, keys to the office, combination to the safe. Okay? So notice now what he just gave me. He gave me access. right? And then with that access, he gave me authority. Uh, over uh, that particular uh, Chick-fil-A location. Uh, while he was not there, if I was the one in charge, then I had the authority uh, over what was done, how much chicken was cooked, how many people did what, that sort of thing. Uh, anyway, but then also with that comes responsibility, <laughs> right? With, that, uh, with the keys uh, came responsibility. Some, some uh, uh, businesses actually refer to the manager or, as a key holder, right? Uh, oh, well, she's a key holder, M- meaning what? Meaning she can clear uh, mistakes on the cash register. She can d- do whatever, okay? So, again, when Father says through Jesus to Peter and then to, the, to you and me that I've given to you the keys to the kingdom, he's saying, in essence, I've given you access to my kingdom, I've given you authority in my kingdom, and I've also given you responsibility. So do you see then, and we try to emphasize this in the waning moments of, of last week's class, when he says, whatever you bind and whatever you loose. So before we really, I think, solidify in our hearts and minds what it means to bind and loose, I want you to, to first of all see that the initiative on your part and my part is not only important here, but it's, it's a requirement. It's a requirement. In, in other words, when, if we go all the way back, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, when, when this whole thing started, and we see that when God blessed Adam, 
And then when he blessed him, he gave to him what I call five royal mandates. Okay, And he told him to be fruitful. He told him to multiply. He told him to fill up the earth. He told him to have dominion. And he told him to subdue it. Subdue it. Okay, If you subdue, that means if something gets out of line... Uh, you use force to bring it back into line, alignment, okay? And God would have never empowered Adam or mankind to subdue things if there were not going to be some things that needed to be subdued. Am I right about it? Okay, okay. All right. So, so we see then that God's intention, uh, well, that's, we could even go back before that, and God uh, said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And then he says, and let them rule. Again, we'll look at these verses in future classes. Let them rule. So he has delegated authority over this earth to you and me. We then turn that authority over uh, the keys, if you will, over to, uh, to Satan. Jesus came as a man. That's important. Jesus could have took him back at any time as the eternal son of God, uncreated son of God. But Jesus taking him back as the eternal uncreated son of God would have done nothing to help you and me. Jesus came as a man, took the keys back as a man. Therefore, he could give them back to mankind, to you and me. Are you seeing this? So he's given to you and me the keys to the kingdom. And, and, and with that comes access, it comes authority, and it comes responsibility. So there are lots of things, and, and I'm not trying to stir anybody up or get anybody irritated, um, but there are some questions that we really, I think, need to... to in other words, if these verses mean what these verses mean, then we should stop talking about what God allows and start talking about what we allow. Because to bind something means to not allow it, um, and to loose something means to allow it, to say yes to it, uh, to forbid or to not forbid, to, to bind or um, to loose. Okay? So um, I want to remind you, praise God, of a verse that we've already looked at in Isaiah 51 and 16. I'll put it up on the screen. What did God say? I've put my words in your mouth. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth. <coughs> excuse me, and say to Zion, you are my people. Am I going too fast for y'all? No. Okay, I feel like we're flowing, but I just want to make sure y'all are, y'all are awake for the flow. Everybody good? Okay, amen. Praise the name of the living God. All right, this excites me. I want it to excite you. It's good stuff. Amen. We've got to start taking some initiative. Amen. We've got to start putting our foot down. We've got to start calling the devil's hand on some things. We've got to start saying, no, sir. I think one of my favorite moments so far, if you haven't seen, I don't want to, you know, spoil alert or anything, but, but there's a scene in one of the early episodes of season two of The Chosen where um, a, a, a demonically possessed man has jumped on uh, one of Jesus' followers, and, and Jesus is not with him at the time, and he comes walking up with a couple of other disciples, and he sees it, and he just goes, out, out, and I mean, he doesn't say it twice, he just says it once, right? Man, it just sent chills up my spine because immediately those demons left, right? Okay. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus, as a man, is, is subduing some things. He's taking his position of authority and he's saying, no, not going to happen here. Not, not doing that. Not, not going to sit back and watch this happen uh, with my hands folded. All right. But see, if you never know that you've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that you have the ability to tell the devil no then chances are pretty good you won't, you won't ever tell him no. <laughs> are you following this, right? Remember that group of 70? They came back clicking their heels so excited that the demons were, were subject to them in the name of Jesus. And Jesus looked at them, and I'm going to give you the New Windsor International translation of this. He's like, hey, guys, you're embarrassing yourself here, and you don't even know it. They've always been subject to you. 
demons have, have always been beneath you, right? You're celebrating something like it's a big deal when it's always been that way. But they didn't know that demons were subject to them. They thought they were at the mercy of the devils rather than the devils at the mercy uh, of them. And, and if the devil can convince people of this, right? Uh, and there are folks listening to me right now. They're like, oh, Pastor Mark, you might not want to say that too loud. I'll say it louder. Amen. You, again, it's like, whoa, you know, the devil might hear you. I want him to hear me. He needs to know it. He does know it. It's, it's, it's God's people who need to know this, right? We have authority over him in the name of Jesus. But we got to take that. We, we, and so many times we're sitting back waiting for God to do something, right, that he's told us to do. We're asking God to take care of something that he's enabled and, and authorized and empowered you and me to take authority over, right? And so remember, part of this whole life experience on planet Earth, this briefest uh, span of our existence in this body, on this Earth as it is right now, um, is about our learning. Some people call it training for reigning, right? Where we are learning to use faith and believe what God says in His Word and step out on that and, and use those things to make a difference in this world, bear fruit, and bring glory to our Father. Amen. 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 And so this is a huge part of it. So whatever you bind, in other words, he's talking about taking um, an, an initiative and, and, and stepping out, all right? But now part of this, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Let me, let me go back to this, Isaiah 51, 16. So remember now, you've got God in heaven who's speaking His word and His truth from heaven to usward, okay? But then, remember, His word has to be returned back and that's where the potential, that's where the, 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 the power to accomplish, the power to prosper that resides in the Word of God is released in the returning of the Word. And so again, back to this verse, Isaiah 51, 16, God's put His words in your mouth, covered you with the shadow of His hand, that He may plant the heavens. But remember, our Father who art in heaven, He's in heaven, we're on the earth. He's speaking from heaven to the earth, but now He's put His hand on you and me. He's put His words in our heart and in our mouths so that we, He can now use you and me as an instrument to complete that cycle back to Him, right? And experience great victory, great results in the earth for His glory, for His kingdom, for our benefit. And, and, and for the benefit of others. All right, now, the Weist translation, and it's spelt W-U-E-S-T, Weist. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kenneth uh, Weist, uh, uh, a, a brilliant um, a scholar, a Greek scholar. And um, I have really uh, benefited over the years um, from his works. And, um, and the Weist translation of the New Testament uh, has Matthew 16, 19, uh, and I'll put it up on the screen. It says this, I shall give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, forbid to be done, shall have been already bound, forbidden to be done in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, permit to be done, shall have already been loosed in heaven, permitted to be done. Okay, now, <clears throat> how are we to understand this? And I think this is very important. Let's go back to how Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First John tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he's heard us and that if he hears us, we have it. 
Okay, so the key then, or one of the main keys, one of the keys to effective prayer is to know the will of God. Okay, we we gotta know what God wants, uh, and and that's one of the keys to successfully uh, saying no to things, forbidding things here on the earth, or loosing, or saying yes to things here on the earth, is. <clears throat> And again, the wordiness of Weast, Weast is like trying to read the Amplified Bible. You know, if you just want to set up by a warm fire with a blanket and a Bible, you may not want to read the Amplified or the Weast, okay? But if you want to study and dig into some stuff, then those are excellent tools and resources for that. But what he's saying is when you forbid something on earth that has already been forbidden in heaven, or when you say yes to something here on the earth that God has already said yes to in heaven. This is, this is the key to this, okay? Um, and so we know things, for example, that God has said no to in heaven, that God does not allow in heaven. And since it's already been forbidden in heaven, because God's will is for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is already in heaven, then we can step out with boldness, faith, confidence, and authority and forbid it here uh, on the earth. Amen. And the same is true with what's released or what's loosed in heaven. Now, this may be the corniest uh, example of this that you've ever heard, but uh, I um, you know, turned 57 today, so I am a... Uh, uh, a child of the uh, the 80s, and the, one of the key things about the 1980s, of course, was the Cold War. Uh, and there were lots of movies, you know, about mutual nuclear annihilation, right? Uh, and the world lived with that threat, you know, I guess probably still a valid threat. You know, there's enough nuclear warheads amongst all the different nations on Earth if you know, to just basically destroy the Earth all at one time. But, um, but that was kind of one of those anxious things, uh, uh, you know, for, for people of my generation. And a lot of times the movies th that Hollywood would produce about these things would, and I don't know if it works this way or not, but, um, and if you've never seen one of these movies or were not born in the, you know, late 60s and that sort of thing, I think you can still relate to it. <clears throat> they would always have this deal to, to launch a nuclear missile it would require two people. In other words, no one person had the authority to do it himself or herself. And so sometimes it would be like, and so to use the keys example here that we have, you know, one person would take this key off their, you know, chain around their neck, and they would put it in the console, and they would turn it to launch, okay? But then somebody else with a different key would have to go to another keyhole and put their key into that uh, you know, place on the console and turn it to launch, and then it was ready to go. So, it, so you had to have the, the cooperation of the two. Yes? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? All right. So I want you to think of it like this, where Father God has already put His key in and turned it to launch. In heaven, He's waiting for you and me to take our keys and put them in the console and turn it to launch. Amen? Are you seeing this? So it's that cooperation. What's, what has already been you know, forbidden in heaven, God's already said no to it. Now you, in your life, your family, your church, here on the earth, we're going to take the keys that He's given to us, and we're going to say no to it as well. Uh, right? Because on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Come kingdom, be done will of God on earth as it is in heaven. 
And, and, and then the same is, okay, if, if God allows this to flow freely in heaven, His generosity, His grace, uh, you know, His healing power, His Holy Spirit, if He's already put the key in and said, have at it, free flow, then we're not going to hold it out on our ends, but we're going to say yes to it here on the earth as well. Amen? Okay, is this helping you? Now, listen, it's one thing to understand this, and it's important to understand it, but we got to do it. Come on now, we got to do it. And if this, if this is new to you, any, anything that you've never done before that you do for the first time is going to be a little awkward. It's going to be a little weird. How do I say it? How do I do it? But see, this goes back to the journey. This goes back to taking the yoke of Jesus and, do, and doing life alongside Him. And, and there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, Jesus, you know, I'm getting jazzed up about this binding and loosening stuff. Help me do this. I want, I want to cooperate together with you. I want to say yes to what you've said yes to. I want to say no to what you've said no to. I want to work together with you to see Father's will done in my life and the life of my family and my church and, and, and people that I have influence over. I want to see it in, with them on earth right now uh, as it is in heaven. And, and, and so show me how I need to do this. Show me how this works. Show me how to, to begin to take authority over this, right? If, if, a, if a dog runs out of somebody's house off a leash and comes at you, right, you're probably going to stand your ground, stomp your foot, and say no to it. It's kind of a natural response. A threat comes, we bear down and we say no. But when, when the, the, what the devil loves to try to do is he tries to mask the threat. I'll tell you what he really likes to do is he really likes to tell you that God's behind the threat. Right? Are you with me? He wants to tell you that God's the one that's doing this. God's the one that's allowing this because he's trying to make you a better person. Right? Uh, what don't kill you make you stronger. Well, my goodness, we ought to be so strong by now if that's how it works. Right? If tough times make us more righteous and more holy, man, we ought to have halos by now. So again, see, that, that's, that's not how this works, not how any of this works. So we've, we've got to understand and, and, and recognize these things. But then, you know, that's the first part, acknowledging it, that it's something that, that is a part of our responsibility, access, authority, responsibility. But now we've got to, we've got to start using this. Amen. Now, now listen... When it comes to things like strife, that's, that's, a, that's a, one of the devil's favorite tools and weapons to use against us. Okay? You don't necessarily have authority over another person, but you do have authority over demonic spirits who are trying to influence that person. Are you understand what I'm saying here? So, you know, you understand what, you can walk in a room and feel strife because de demons are attracted to that stuff. Beelzebub, right? Lord of the flies. Just like, you know, they're attracted to all kinds. Flies are attracted to stuff. Amen. And, and in the same way, there are attitudes and words and, 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 and uh, uh, behaviors that attract demonic spirits. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And when it comes to your domain, when it comes to your life and your sphere and where you are, then you, you have been authorized by God to take authority in that situation, in that place. Not over the person, over the demonic spirits trying to influence that person, right? I, again, as the Lord was teaching me all this in middle school and high school, um, you know, those were not good years for me. I'll just be honest with you, okay? I got, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and um, man, I, you know, God just really rocked me and, and, and changed me and and just to see what was, I don't know, I was, it was, praise God. I grew and learned and, and, you know, I just wanted to stay home, read the Bible. You know, I had no interest in, in the, 
in, in public high school and, and, and all that stuff. But again, the Lord was showing me that, that all that was going on around me was, was being demonically manipulated and that I had authority over that. So I just got to where, I, you know, people thought I was a nut anyway. You know, I'd just walk in the front door of Hewittown High School. I'd walk in the door, door closed behind me. I'd put my foot down and I'd say, devil, I'm here. I'm here. And I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And people are like, you know. But again, right? Um, and that's where I learned a lot of these things, that we can, that we can alter the atmosphere and the environment uh, that we carry that authority with us to shift um, situations and, and, and circumstances, uh, again, to the glory of our Father. Amen. Amen. Whew, praise God. I get stirred up about it. All right. Let's, um, I, these are just some, I don't, I don't, when I say leftovers, I don't mean that. These are just some different things that fit into different categories that, that we need to look at about the kingdom, again, by way of kingdom overview. So let's get back into the flow of that. Um, let's go uh, Luke 16 and 16. Now, um, it says that the law and the prophets were until John, and this is speaking of John the Baptist. Uh, some of you were not here for those classes, but we talked about how John represented the end of one era and Jesus represented the beginning of another. And, and it's kind of like, and if I'll kind of act it out with my hands, this is John, this is Jesus. And as John kind of slowly faded, uh, Jesus uh, rose in popularity. And there, was a, there was a time when it was, um, you know, John the Baptist was, was the popular figure and it was Jesus who? I mean, Jesus was the carpenter. You know, he his, him is, you know, running his dad's carpenter business. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> John was the, the, matter of fact, some people thought John might be uh, the Messiah or a prophet or something along these lines, right? Trying to figure out who he is. They even sent, uh, uh, you know, a committee from headquarters uh, to ask him if he was the Messiah and these kinds of things, right? Uh, but, but then what eventually happened was, uh, John even said it, I must decrease, he must increase. And that represented a significant shift um, in, in the way things work because up until John, miracles were performed by a portion of God's Spirit upon a specially appointed, anointed, chosen man or woman. Now, Jesus comes, brings the kingdom to the earth, and the Holy Spirit has been given to him not a measure like Elijah or a double measure like Elisha, but without measure, the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus who eventually uh, poured the Spirit of God out upon all flesh. Amen. So this was a significant shift. It was a significant change. And this is what he's saying. He says, Law and prophets were until John. Since that time, since John preached uh, repentance from sin and the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Everyone is pressing into it. And if you recall, we used the example of uh, a concert at the Civic Center. Uh, doors open at 6.30 um, for, a, for a 7.30 show. And at 5 o'clock, people are around 
the, the arena waiting for the doors to open. And that's what happened. Jesus is preaching the kingdom. People are attracted to the kingdom. Jesus is demonstrating the kingdom. People are attracted to the kingdom. But you can't enter in until you can be born again. And you can't be born again until Jesus dies on the cross. The only way into the kingdom is what? Through the new birth, right? John chapter 3. Still with me? Okay. Um, so this again is referring to the kingdom Jesus brought with him to the earth and people wanted in, but the way in was not yet available. Okay, and that's John 3 and 3, John chapter 3 and verse 5. Um, let's, uh, here's another verse and it just verifies and confirms what we've already looked at. I don't think we've looked at this verse yet though. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3 um, and uh, said, Jesus speaking, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So anytime Jesus says assuredly, he's saying something that uh, people will more than likely question, more than likely debate, more than likely say that's not what it means. And Jesus is just letting us know, listen, as, as, as profound or as extreme as this may sound, this is the way it is, this is what it means. And to believe something other than this um, is to be uh, deceived, okay? So um, the... Uh, the error that uh, a lot of people make when it uh, comes uh, to Jesus uh, talking about His kingdom uh, coming to the earth is they try to understand it as going to heaven one day. So I want to deal with some of those verses. And, and maybe you got these years ago, but uh, I always have people um, you know, that get that light bulb moment when we talk about uh, these particular verses. Uh, in light of the kingdom coming to the earth versus us going to heaven when we die. So let's look at this in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Okay? All right. So there are people who look at this and they're like, they think that this means going to heaven Right, because that's the mindset a lot of people have. Let, let me let me back up here for a minute. I do believe a lot of people have it because I've experienced it. But let, let's begin with who had that mindset for a long time, and that would be this big guy right here. And so I'm looking at this. I'm like, well, well, man, this, these people long since dead died, and and Jesus didn't come in the rapture, or maybe he did come in the rapture, and we're all just believe, you know. So the devil tries to use these things to bring confusion. Um, obviously, remember to see the kingdom present with power, you've got to be born again. Remember Jesus said you'll never see the kingdom unless you're born again. So he's saying there are people that are standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And of course, that was referring to people who heard that and were uh, born again. All right. But a lot of people to this day think Jesus is referring to his return to the earth. Now here's a big one I'm going to ask you to... Um, to hang on to the end, uh, and if you still disagree with me, that's fine. We can go to heaven together. Um, but, but just hear me out on this, please, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22, and 23. Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. One who practiced lawlessness 
Lawlessness is the same word for unrighteousness. Okay, So those who practice unrighteousness are those who are unrighteous. Now, um, this particular verse, right, this was the one, man, growing up that would strike terror into my heart. You know, it's like, how can we ever be confident of our salvation? How, how can we ever know for sure uh, that we're going to go to heaven when we die? Um, and, and it's because of a misunderstanding of this particular verse uh, that, um, that, that people, uh, again, they misunderstand it and they present it uh, in, in such a way as to create confusion and fear uh, in, in people's hearts. Because again, they read, enter the kingdom of heaven and automatically assume that means go to heaven when you die. Are you hearing me? I hope you're learning something from these classes, okay? Entering the kingdom does not mean go to heaven when you die. Enter the kingdom means to be a part of the kingdom, to be a citizen of God's kingdom, to enter into it, right? And so when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, right? Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? So I would, I would read this, and I'm thinking, man, if, if these people have done this, if they have risen to this level of spiritual maturity, and they're still not sure about going to heaven, how, what chance in, you know, <laughs> Hades do I have, right? Are you still with me? Praise God. That's the first thing some of you heard me say all night. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. You good? Amen. All right. So he says, I'll declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. All right. Now, we've got to break this down to understand what Jesus is saying here. And most importantly, to whom he is saying it. All right. So let's, let's, let's start with a simple question that you should already know the answer. How does a man or a woman enter the kingdom of heaven? You must be born again by faith. You must be born again by faith. Can good works get you there? Can you do enough good for enough time to earn it or deserve it or God owe it to you? Absolutely, positively not. Now, we're, we're going to talk about salvation and what it means in the days ahead, and we will go through multiple verses. But again, Ephesians 2 is very clear. It's a gift. It's not of works. It's not about earning it. And verse after verse after verse makes it very clear that the only way into the kingdom, Jesus is the way in. He is the, he is the doorway in. Amen. And we have to enter in through him. We have to enter in to the kingdom by salvation uh, and, and that doorway through the new birth. You're either born into it or you're never in it. Okay? Right? So that is established, period. So we can't throw that out and properly understand um, this particular passage. You must be born again. There is no other way. So what is the will of the Father? Because Jesus said the only way, um, the only, only those who will enter are those who do the will of my Father. So next question. What is the will of the Father pertaining to entering into the kingdom? What, is, what does Father want you to do when it comes to entering into the kingdom, does he want you to try to earn your way? Does he want you to try to save up enough money and give a big enough offering that he says, okay, you're excluded. Come on in because of that money. Is that, was that the will of God that you do these things? Do you realize how many people to this day still think that's what God wants from them? That he wants them to do enough good to where he finally owes it to them? 
and that they're finally deserving of, of his uh, gift and his salvation? No. What is the will of the Father when it, as it pertains to, as it relates to entering into the kingdom? The will of the Father is that you call upon the name of Jesus and receive his free gift of salvation. And again, verse after verse after verse in the New Testament that spell this out to us very, very clearly, crystal clear what it is that Father desires. Amen. He desires that you be saved and that you come to the knowledge of the truth. And again, man, we could just, I want to go through all those verses, but we're going to save those for a later date. Uh, all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. All right. So now let's ask this question. To whom is Jesus speaking? To whom is he speaking to in the Matthew passage? I believe, I believe these verses are referring to those, listen to me very carefully now because this is important. You pray about this. You, you ask the Lord about this. Amen. We, we talked Sunday morning about the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. And, and there are things in my lifetime, and I'm sure there are things in your lifetime, that you hear people say and preach, and they do it with boldness and confidence, but something on the inside of you says that ain't right. Amen or oh me? Something, ah, that don't sound like my Jesus there. I, ah, I don't know about that. Amen. Okay? That's the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. He's, his job, among others, is to lead you and me and guide you and me into all truth. Satan is trying to deceive us and confuse us and get us into error and deception. All right? So now, you have to ask yourself, again, if this, if this doesn't sit well with you, that's fine. But I believe that it will. Amen? Because I believe the same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. These verses have to be, because we're talking about entering into the kingdom as the kingdom of God is here upon the earth. We're not talking about heaven when we die. Okay? We're not talking about heaven when we die. We're talking about entering into the kingdom, those who enter the kingdom. Right? Okay? So these verses have to be talking about some group of people that have already been used powerfully by Jesus, but have not yet been born again. Right? They haven't been born again, because the only way into the kingdom is to be born again. Now Jesus is talking about people who are going to point to works that they have done, powerful, mighty works that they have done, and think that because they've done those works, that that gives them, uh, how, do we, how do we say this, a free pass. An upper hand. That's a great way of saying it. Okay? Special favor. All right? Okay? So let's pretend for a moment that you were one of the 70 who were handpicked by Jesus, empowered by Him with His anointing, and you went with a partner into different villages and towns, declared the good news of God's kingdom on the earth, cast demons out of people, healed sick children, opened blinded eyes, healed people who were paralyzed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God used you mightily and powerfully, right, to do these kinds of works. Would you not think that when it came time for the doors of the kingdom to be opened, that you would be escorted in as a VIP? That you would be given not just a front row seat, but like if it's a bleacher seat, you got one that reclines with a, with a padded back on it. 
Because after all, you've cast out demons. After all, you went to strange places where people never heard of Jesus and proclaimed his kingdom and then backed it up with undeniable miracles. You see, I believe, and again, you don't have to believe this to go to heaven. I believe Jesus is talking to that group of people. He's talking to people who had cast out demons. He's talking to people that he had given uh, a power and authority to, to heal the sick and, and, and to proclaim the kingdom, right? But what he wanted them to understand, well, let's, let's back up here for a moment, okay? And I'm not trying to offend anybody that's Catholic, okay? But what about Mary? I mean, for crying out loud, she gave birth to Jesus, surely, surely she gets a lifetime pass into the kingdom. I mean, surely that's got to be part of her retirement package for putting up with all that she put up with. No, see, here's the thing, right? Mary had to call on the blood of Jesus to be born again to enter into the kingdom just like anybody else. I'm not saying she wasn't a special lady. She was a special lady. You do realize that Jesus went and preached to the righteous dead in Abraham's bosom. Because the only way Elijah is getting into the kingdom is he has to believe on Jesus. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? You, well, he's Elijah. Surely he gets a free pass. No, he doesn't. There's only one way in. There's only one way in. So please do not let well-meaning or otherwise preachers and teachers of the Bible try to use these verses to get you and me to question whether or not we're going to be let into the pearly gates one day based upon how, much, um, how many miracles we performed or how good we were or how much money we gave or how many times we uh, you know, uh, read the Bible through or, or whatever. Cast out devils, read your Bible, pray, do all that stuff. But none of that gives you a leg up. Amen. Amen doesn't make you any more righteous than any other person. Amen or oh me? Amen. Okay, are you seeing this? All right, how about this one? Now here, this, we're, going, we're going somewhere now, all right? Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus is fixing to throw another assuredly out, okay? And this is what he says. He says, assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women... There has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. But the Bible, the verse doesn't end there. Jesus didn't stop talking there. Because he's trying to make an important point. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman. What? Do you see why Jesus said assuredly? Because he's fixing to drop something on us, right? That we're going to sit back and go, no, hold on a second. All right. Now, only to make this more amazing to you, I want to make sure you understand by Jesus's own definition what it means to be least in the kingdom. And we find that in Matthew 5, 19 and 20. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, the commandments that Jesus is referring to are the ones that he gave us in his Sermon on the Mount, right? Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever 
does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now here's another one, right? Let's, we're coming back to John the Baptist, but let's just stay here for just a moment, all right? Let's take verse 21st. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. This is kind of like when, um, when Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter. See, when people heard this, they're like, if a scribe or Pharisee is not getting in, we ain't getting in either. Because to the people in Jesus' day, these men were the epitome of righteousness. I mean, they, they, they proclaimed to have perfected all 600 plus laws and ordinances of the Old Testament and then created some of their own to go along with it. Right? I mean, they, they even talked about like, you know, you had a certain way to wash your hands. Because if you washed your hands according to the way they said you should wash your hands, you were even more righteous than someone who washed their hands a different way, for crying out loud. Okay? So when the disciples hear this, they're like, we're sunk. Okay? But come on now, what do we know from the rest of the New Testament? There's only one standard of righteousness that's accepted, and that's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the only way to become that righteous is to be made that righteous, is to, re to be made that righteous by God, to receive an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. Jesus knew this when he said this, they didn't know it yet. But what Jesus is saying here is, unless you're, righteousness, unless you're more righteous than them, you're not getting in. Well, how do you be any more righteous than them? The only way you can be any more righteous than them is to stop trying to make yourself right and submit yourself to the righteousness of God and allow Him to make you what you could never make yourself. That's the new birth. That's entering into the kingdom. Are you seeing this? Okay, now let's go back up to verse 19. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom. Why are we here? We're here because Jesus said the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman. And the least in the kingdom by definition is someone who's in the kingdom, which means they've been what? Oh, somebody get it right. They're in the kingdom. So that means what's happened. They've been born again. They've been, the only way in is to be born again. So if they're in the kingdom, they've been born again. There ain't no other way in. Okay? So now we're talking about somebody who's born again, who's in the kingdom, and would be considered least in the kingdom, which means what? They're still breaking commandments and teaching other people to break them. We call that a reprobate today and want to kick them into a bobsled to hell right now. You know what Jesus is saying here? I'm this, I didn't write this. I'm not manipulating it. I'm just telling you. Jesus is trying to communicate something to you and me. First of all, about the importance of being born again, about how to enter into the kingdom. And he makes this outrageous claim, which is not a claim, it's true. If Jesus said it, it's true. He said the greatest prophet born of a woman is John the Baptist. And those men, you, so you would have had to understand the respect people had for him. You know, I mean, this, I guess in, in our day, and I, this may be lame, but, you know, people have tremendous respect for like a Billy Graham. I don't know about you, but I do. I mean, what this man did and how he lived and the example that he set, 
and, 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 the, and the way he influenced presidents and nations, and, and heaven only knows how many people he won to Jesus. I mean, again, so, you know, if you can in any way relate to having reverence for and respect for a man like, but we're talking about John the Baptist. I mean, you, you have to understand what the spiritual atmosphere was like and all this stuff before he, quote, unquote, came out of nowhere and what he was doing and the waves that he created and the boldness and the, and the, and the courage and the, uh, you know, I mean, really important popular people would show up to be baptized and, and Jesus, I mean, John the Baptist would be like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, you know, they're just wanting in on the popular thing of the day and he wouldn't stand for it. And so the soldiers would say stuff like, well, well, what, what do we need to do? He says, you need to quit complaining about your pay. Telling a Roman soldier that. I mean, just, <laughs> don't get me started on all that. Amen. All right. So he was, you know, John the Baptist was like the man, you know, and hero status. Stood up to Herod and it cost him his head. Right? Legend. Stuff legends are made of. And Jesus says, the least in the kingdom, by the way, the least in the kingdom is someone who's in the kingdom that breaks commandments and teaches other people to do so, is greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman. Now, has anybody, I've tried to emphasize it a few times, has anybody picked up on the difference? Born of a woman. <laughs> Not born again. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? So what is Jesus showing us here as powerful and as important and, and, and as impactful as John the Baptist was? The greatest of the era that's fading to black. The least in the kingdom who's been born of the Spirit, who's been born from above who's been born a second time from the incorruptible seed of the Word of God is now greater than the greatest product of that old system. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, maybe not any of you, but yes, he's in heaven. John the Baptist, of course he is. Amen. Because again, he was one of those righteous dead that Jesus went and he took the captive and he led them to freedom. Amen. I can't prove this from Scripture, and I, you know, more than likely it didn't happen, but, you know, can you imagine, like, John the Baptist with his head back on, raised up? By the way, there were a lot of people who had been dead for years seen walking the streets of Jerusalem the first resurrection morning, right? <laughs> you just, you just got to think of a world where John the Baptist, you know, heads over to the palace there. Where Herod and all them folks are hanging out, right? Gives them a little nan nan boo boo. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's, that's flesh. Don't pay no attention to that. That's flesh. Amen. All right. So what is he saying now? This throws a lot of people off, but Jesus is referring to the gift of righteousness that he came to give to all who call upon him to be saved. A born-again man is one who has been made righteous been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise God, where does the time go? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. 
Yes, sir, I will. Which way? Born again man? This one? Okay. Amen. Part of why I was a little trigger happy on that one is I looked at the clock. It's almost 6.30, so. Amen. We've been in the flow tonight. Amen. Rarely if, rarely if ever do I have to break out the plow in here. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. And usually it's my own, you know, issues. Praise God. See, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying, the, ser- the sermon that's to follow. I actually have three sermons for tonight. And I'm like, Lord, you know, which one? You know what I'm saying? So, but anyway. And that's, so that's what I mean by, you know, people can be hungry for it, and I just get up there and try to preach three sermons instead of one. So, but anyway, God's good. Amen. Amen. How about this? And it doesn't get any more point blank than this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, when he left to take the throne of the universe, he said, or the angel said, why are you standing here gazing up at the sky? The one who just left is going to come and return in the same manner in which you saw him leave one day. Praise God. My daughter, she was um, the youngest one on this mission trip. She went to um, the, uh, basically, the it's called Deep Sloot, South Africa. It's, uh, it's like um, outside... Uh, major city there but it's like the trash dumps and that's where so many people live and she went on a missions trip there when she was very young and I remember my wife and I we were um, you know we watched the plane take off and um, we stood there watching it watching it watching it until it was gone and we both were standing there holding hands looking at that last spot in the sky where we saw that airplane you know and everybody else was leaving. We're still kind of standing there like praying in the spirit, I guess, under our breaths, you know. And it, it was in that moment, I guess, the Holy Spirit helped me. That's, I think, how it was when Jesus, I mean, he literally just, you know. And they're all standing there staring at that last spot where they saw him before he disappeared when the angel's like, hey, what are y'all doing? It's time to get busy. You know, quit. he's coming back, but you've got a job to do, right? So... So, uh, amen. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we also eagerly wait. There's a difference between waiting and eagerly waiting. Amen. We're eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and His return. All right. Hebrews is uh, a, a fascinating book in the Bible. One of the things you have to remember about Hebrews is that it's an open letter to the Jewish people. Every other epistle, um, letters, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those are letters to the church, meaning to those who have already been born again, those who have already received salvation. Um, if you look at how the book of Hebrews begins, it doesn't begin, you know, the church at Rome, the church at, at Galatia. It begins um, as an open letter to the Hebrew people. And if you don't understand that, you will more than likely become very confused by the book of Hebrews because you, if you assume that every passage in the book of Hebrews is speaking to people who've already been born again, then you're going to draw some incorrect conclusions. Okay. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know for sure who it is, um, 
Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, whom I have a lot of respect for and admiration for and trust in, he had personal visitations with the head of the church, Jesus, uh, on, on different occasions. And on one of those occasions, he just point blank asked Jesus who wrote the book of Hebrews. And he says Jesus told him Paul wrote it. So um, you take that for whatever it's worth to you. I always believe Paul wrote it or someone that was very close to Paul. Some people say, and it wouldn't surprise me, if it's not Paul, I'm, I'm going with Priscilla. Um, and if you know Aquila and Priscilla, they were... Uh, you know, companions and co-ministers with, with the Apostle Paul. And there are some who, who say that she wrote it, but because she was a woman, um, she wrote it anonymously. So I don't know. But whoever wrote it, if, if it wasn't Paul, uh, they had been greatly influenced by his teachings, if, if you've read his other inspired writings. But the, um, the book of Hebrews, again, an open letter to the Hebrew people, and the, and the writer of the book of Hebrews is targeting, obviously, people who have been born again, but he's also um, reaching out to Jewish people who experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus but had not yet received Him as their Messiah and Savior. And so when you see things like, if we neglect so great a salvation, right? When he, in Hebrews 4, where he says, Today, if you'll hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as in the days of provocation. He's talking about things from Jewish history that Jewish people would have absolutely positively understood and related to. And um, so even like the passages when he talks about people who've tasted of the heavenly gift, right, who've experienced uh, the earthly ministry of Jesus. Um, you know, I'm talking about people who were healed by Jesus that you would automatically think um, would have called upon him to receive salvation. But... Um, if you think that's automatic, then you don't know people like I know them. Amen. <laughs> and I think if you think about it, it probably makes sense to you that there are a lot of people who heard Jesus teach, a lot of people who experienced His power and love. But when it came down to it, well, think about it this way. Of the thousands upon thousands, I mean, just the people Jesus supernaturally fed, we can make a conservative case for that being 20,000 plus people. So we're... There are a lot of people who experienced his ministry. Are you hearing me? Anybody remember how many were willing to take off work and get a babysitter and show up in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? <laughs> 120. Are you hearing me now? 120. You would think it would have been thousands, wouldn't you? I mean, he told them to go. He didn't make them go, though. Remember, he can only take you as far as your trust in him will allow. So there are a bunch of people who experienced Jesus' earthly ministry that hadn't been born. Now these people are getting older. And that's why another reason why I believe, because this is the same Apostle Paul who said, if him being a curse from Christ would mean his Jewish brethren coming to Christ, he would gladly make that, that swap. <laughs> you know, this is a man who was passionate about all people getting born again, but especially his Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, <clears throat> in that he compares the... Well, we've already looked at some of the verses, right? He compares how God spoke uh, through prophets in times past, but now has in recent days uh, spoken to us in the person of His Son, Hebrews 1. Um, he compares the uh, earthly, uh, I'm sorry, the priestly ministry of Jesus, because that was one of the big hang-ups for, for strict, strict adherence to Judaism, um, a priest had to come from the tribe of Levi. 
And so they had a hard time accepting Jesus as the great high priest because he was from the tribe of Judah. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. And so this was one of the many things that people used as an objection to accepting the Messiahship of Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews explains that he's not after the Levitical order, he's after the order of Melchizedek, uh, a, a greater priestly order that even the great father Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So that's the tone and pattern. Uh, there's a lot of comparison um, to the old uh, sacrificial system to the, the sacrifice Jesus made. One of the things that, that we started on last Wednesday night here at Heritage was all the different things in Hebrews that the Bible says could not bring perfection. The law could not make anything perfect. The former priesthood could not make anything perfect. The blood of animals and goats could not make anything perfect. But then it comes to this crescendo in chapter 10, verse 14, when it establishes that Jesus, by one offering of himself, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, which ties directly in with Hebrews 2 where it says, the one who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, are one. They're all of one, and he's not ashamed to declare that you came from the same womb and the same seed as he did. So, then he, in chapter 12, he brings this um, comparison. And that was when they had... Uh, God had brought His uh, people out of slavery in Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai. And if you remember, that's when God came down and sat upon the mountain and the mountain melted in fire and smoke and, and, and Moses goes up into the mountain and God is trying to speak to the people and God's desire is for the nation of Israel to become a nation of priests for the rest of the world. But they said no and they told Moses, they said, look... Um, tell God if He wants to speak to us that He can talk to you and then you tell us anything you think we need to know. But tell Him don't speak directly to us anymore. We, we, that scares us. We don't like that, right? And, you know, I mean, it was... If you remember, the Bible said even if an animal touched that mountain that it had to, had to be ran through with a spear. Um, but He says now we're, we're not, we've not come to that mountain. Uh, and this is some of the most beautiful words... He says in verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 12, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. My friend, it's a new and better way with new and better promises with new and better sacrifices that can finally accomplish what it is that all of those other orders and sacrifices and ordinances and traditions could never pull off, could never accomplish. And so notice again what he's saying, that, that we have now come to Mount Zion. We're now a part of the city of the living God, a royal priesthood a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Could I offer to you tonight that um, I've always believed that we have uh, guardian angels, but this is the first time I ever heard from that gentleman who had the near-death experience that we have a guardian angel assigned to us at conception. Amen. <laughs> Come on now. Could you let that wash over you for a moment? 
that all those times you thought you were a good driver it had nothing to do with your driving ability, but it had everything to do uh, with that 10-foot-tall angel, right, who protected you and helped you and caught you and, and stabilized you and, bought, and beat demons off of you that were trying to drag you to hell. Amen? Come on now. We've been called to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn. That's you and me, right? He was the firstborn from the dead. He was the firstborn. Amen. He was the only begotten, but now he's the firstborn among many brethren. And we are called to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn, registered in heaven. That hall of knowledge. Amen. Somewhere up there, there's a book with your name on the spine of it. Somewhere up there, there's, there's the record of every prayer you've ever prayed. Somewhere up there, amen, there's a record of every church service you've ever attended, every time you've ever had a thought about God, said a word about Him to anybody. It's recorded, right, in that hall of knowledge. Because guess what? You're registered. You're registered. You're documented. Come on now. You're documented. You're registered in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. Amen. I'll finish kingdom overview with this. The most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. Amen. The most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. We in the United States were raised in a... In a in a republic, a representative democracy. And sometimes that hinders our ability to understand a king and his kingdom. But in the true sense of a kingdom, the king is glorified by the health, prosperity, and well-being of his people. He's considered a good king if there's peace and joy in the lives of those he governs. He's considered a good king if there's food on people's tables and, and there's are you following what I'm saying? Uh, no king wants to rule over a kingdom where people are at war with one another and, and um, there's lack and poverty and crime. And, amen. So the most powerful thing, though, in any kingdom is the word of the king. And your king has said some things to you and he said some things about you. My question to you this evening is, do you know what he said? Do, do you know what he said? Um, he has declared some things over you. He has um, proclaimed some things about you. He has uh, declared uh, things that belong to you. Amen. And uh, again, the question is, do you know what he has said? Praise God. Man, where's the time? I said that was the final things, but we, we'll pick this up. Next week, let me, mm -mm -mm. let's go here. Acts chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Can you take it? I'll, I'll, if you want to, I'll start here next week if I don't remind me, okay? This is how the book of Acts begins. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. If you don't know this, not familiar with this, uh, Luke was a physician, medical doctor, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And so when he says, the former account I made, he's talking about the Gospel that bears his name, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Notice the key word there is began. Jesus didn't finish, right? Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, 
whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things, there it is, pertaining to the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so Jesus, the 40 days after his resurrection, remember Pentecost is 50, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit's poured out. Jesus was crucified on Passover, 50 days after Passover. Pente means 50, Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost. So crucified on Passover, raised 40 days uh, on the earth, and um, was seen alive after many infallible, undeniable proofs, being seen by them during 40 days. And notice how important this subject, the kingdom of God, uh, is. That was what Jesus taught, continued to teach his disciples during those 40 days, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Would you agree with me tonight that the kingdom of God is important? Amen. Amen. It's important. And what we'll see next week <laughs> in Luke 12 and 32, do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure, Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. To give you the kingdom. Amen. And, of course, we see in Luke 17 that that kingdom is now in you and me. His kingdom's in you. Praise God. All right, Father, you are so good to us and we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the life and peace that we have as those becoming more and more spiritually minded, Father. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And Father, we deliberately, intentionally set our minds upon the things of the Spirit, Lord, things that you have prompted, things that you have awakened, Lord, in us, things that you have, have, have nudged and breathed upon like a coal of fire, Lord, in our hearts tonight as you have spoken to us, Lord, I thank you that we're going to leave this place continuing to think about those things, continuing to meditate upon those things. Father, as we lay our heads on the pillows tonight, we're not going to fret and worry about what's got to be done tomorrow or what we didn't get done today. But, Father, we're going to set our minds on you and on the truth that you're revealing to us. Lord, marinating our souls in the, in the rich, clear, pure waters of your truth. Lord, thank you for renewing our minds, changing our lives, all for your glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Know that you love. Thank you for being here. I hope you got some good stuff out of this tonight. You be blessed. I'll see some of you in a minute. I'll see some of you next week. Uh, much love and good things coming.